Um, so yeah, we're, not, we're starting a new series this morning, and the series is um, um, on a, the book of First John, and it's written by the Apostle John. And you know, we just did a series over the course of the summer of all the disciples. And in part two of the, of the series, we look at John and his brother James. John is an apostle, was one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, of one of the twelve. He had a brother named James, one of the two um, groups in the disciples that, that were brothers. Um, James and John um, were known or were nicknamed by Jesus as the sons of thunder. So they must have had, you know, uh, volatile personalities or, so, or something for Jesus to, to call them the sons of thunder. But what's interesting about them is James, um, the brother of John, was actually martyred first. He was the first disciple to, to die for their faith. John, as far as we know, died of a ripe old age in the city of Ephesus. So the brothers, James and John, actually formed the bookends of the disciples. You know, one died, you know, first, John died last of the 12 disciples. So as brothers, that's what they formed. And John, for a while, was also imprisoned on the island of Patmos. And uh, that's where he wrote uh, the book of Revelation. But, you know, he was released sometime after, after that and ended up as, a, as, a, as a, a, an elder in the church at Ephesus. And, um, you know, he was actually entrusted to, if you, if you read the Gospels, Jesus entrusted his mother Mary to one of the disciples. And it's commonly understood that John was the disciple who cared for Jesus' mother Mary to ripe old age. And in fact, many believe that Mary herself died in Ephesus, you know, where John is buried. So there's, there's that tradition um, to go from there. Um, but as, as, as we look at this little letter, you know, we're going to spend six weeks looking at this epistle called 1 John. And, um, you know, when we were trying to figure out the title of the series and what was so amazing about this series, what I love about this particular book is that it converges two really important ideas. And that's how we get the title. Um, you know, I call it Bright Living or Right Living. And here's why. Because the book of First John converges, you know, the love of God with the truth of God or the light of God. You're going you're gonna to find commentators or other people that write on 1 John that, that the light of, light of God and the love of God, and I'm talking about the light of God being actually the truth of God, the character, the nature, um, the, the doctrines that we celebrate as Christians, that that's vitally, vitally important. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, this is why this book and why the study of this book is going to be so vital, because it, it converges really two very difficult topics um, and brings them together in the same book. You know, there's lots of people that talk about God's love. I believe God is 100% love and, and uh, you know, God cares about everyone and God loves everyone and everyone's accepted by God. And that's kind of like the push that we see in our modern culture about love. But the other side of it is that John is very, very realistic about the truth of God, that God does demand a certain, you know, a certain uh, life of righteousness and holiness. 
and, you know, a certain uh, characterization of when you come to faith that you build your life on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that we are innately sinners first and foremost, and we have to reconcile ourselves to God by placing our faith in Jesus. That's why Jesus died. So that's why this book is so important, because these two major, major topics come together in John's writing in this little epistle, and he blends them beautifully. Here's the truth of God. Here is why Jesus had to come and die. This is why we accept faith in Jesus Christ. And it's based on the love of God as well. Okay? So it's, it's this beautiful book of how it brings these two themes together. Because there's lots of time you're going you're gonna, to you know, talk to somebody and it's all about the truth of God. This is what God demands. And the fact of the matter is that if, if you're talking very much about just the character and the nature and, and the righteousness of God and the holiness of God, it's very easy to tend to be judgmental of other people. Okay? And, and that's... That's the difficulty with, with sort of falling purely on that side of the, of the truth of God. The truth of God is necessary. Don't ever get me wrong about that. But John does this beautiful thing of showing how the love of God impacts us through the truth of God. That the two are intrinsically linked. That, you know, um, it's so important to understand the love and the truth of God both together, okay? So, um, and, and John, the other thing um, that we have to know is that in the early years, we think the church, well, we know the church exploded. Let me just put it that way. We know that the church exploded. There was this incredible movement of the Spirit of God, and, and many, many people were coming to faith. But what we don't always quite understand is at the same time, there was a lot of of, 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 of people that were pushing against this new movement known as people of the way or Christianity because there was all these heresies that were you know, starting in the early church. It's, it's surprising to me that even within the second century that we have writers, early church writers, who are writing huge uh, uh, tomes of volumes uh, Irenaeus, for instance, wrote a, was the first early church father to write a tome called Against Heresies because heresies were already starting to start up in the church. And part of the reason that John is writing First John is to battle a number of heresies that are already starting to happen in the church. Here are three of them that many scholars believe. The first, you know, First John actually speaks you know, or tries to counter or refute. And here are the three heresies, Serinthus, uh, the Docetists, and uh, the Gnostics. Now, that sounds very technical right now, but um, Serinthus was a man who, um, um, you know, just, he said, Jesus is just a normal, normal human being, okay? Jesus is just normal. He's, he's not anything special. There was no virgin birth, at his baptism, at his baptism, uh, the Christ descended and 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 became Jesus Christ, and uh, you know it was 
Jesus, the man who was crucified, but the Christ had, had left him. You know, those were the kinds of, of teaching that Serinthus uh, you know, was, was promoting. In fact, if you, if you read the early church fathers, there's a story about the apostle John ending up in this bathhouse. And he's, he's naked in the bathhouse, as, as they do, and he's getting ready to take a bath. And he hears that Serinthus has entered into the bathhouse you know, through the other entrance. John was so freaked out that he was in the same building with this man that he ran out of the back naked and, and got away because he was afraid that God was going to, you know, turn the building into rubble because this heretic has just walked in the, in the building, okay? True story, actually, that, that we, we know. So this, this Serinthus was one of the people that was promoting this idea that Jesus was just a normal guy just super empowered by the Christ. And, and so that was being, uh, being propagated during, during that time. So John is writing against this kind of stuff, okay? We're going to see how, how John uh, embraces or how John, you know, uh, communicates against this heresy. The second is the docetists. And, uh, and what docetist means is appearing. It's the word for appearing. And what they say is that Jesus was only divine. He appeared to be human. Okay? So, you know, that's the understanding in Christianity, this, that Jesus is 100% divine and 100% human. It's not 50-50. It is 100% of each. He is fully God and fully man. Well, the docetists come along and said, no, no, he only appeared to be a man. So the whole human element of Jesus, you know, um, doesn't, doesn't come in. Of course, he's, he's only spiritual. And also, um, in, in that day and age, there was a dualism in even Greek philosophy where spirit is good, flesh is evil. Okay? So Jesus couldn't have been human because otherwise he would have been he would have had bad characteristics, okay? So there's a whole bunch of philosophies that, that John is speaking, speaking again. Now, the Gnostics, the, the full Gnosticism doesn't become full-blown till after John dies. But, but the starts or the, you know, the, the initial offerings of Gnosticism is starting to uh, become evident in the world at the time that John is writing 1 John. And again, the, the Gnostics denied that Jesus was God in the flesh. Okay, so all these her heresies are starting to propagate, uh, or, or, you know, and people are starting to bring it up as, as, as the church is growing, as, as people are starting to learn all about the doctrines of, of Christianity. There are these people who are saying, no, Jesus couldn't have not have been fully human. He could not have been fully God. He had to be, you know, all, the, all these kinds of things. In fact, that's one of the reasons, if you look at the early church is they started all these creeds. And one of the reasons that creeds started up in the church was to teach people the doctrines of the Christian faith and to be able to, you know, to counter all the heretics or the heresies that were being propagated at the time. There are the, all these people that just wouldn't believe what they heard about Jesus and said he couldn't have been this or couldn't have been that. Okay? So this is part of what what John is doing in refuting um, these, these heretical movements 
They're encountering the person of Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning, this is vitally important for you. Because as a Christian, it is your belief in the person and the character of Jesus Christ that is the central component of your faith. It is what's so vitally important to understand you know, why Jesus died, why faith in him is important, how the resurrection it, you know, confirms everything that Jesus said and, and did. And, and it's vital. And, and here's what John is, is spending the rest of his life communicating. John spent the rest of his, of his life after, after the, the resurrection of Jesus, you know, battling these heresies. If you know anything about the Gospel of John, it begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, was God, was with God, and was God. Okay, right in that very first sentence, John is countering all the ideas of Greek philosophy about what the word is, that the word was Jesus Christ. All the philosophical movements that are happening in the Greek world, in that one sentence, John counters and refutes them. Even some of the understanding in, in, in the Jewish uh, understanding of who the word was, they recognized right away that that identity of Jesus equated him with Yahweh of the Old Testament. So, you know, John's entire life after his experience with Jesus was absolutely transformed by telling people about the person and the work of, 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 who, of, of Jesus and communicating him as 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 John experienced him firsthand, okay? So let's dive. We're going to dive into the first 10 verses of this incredible book as we battle the heretics and all the other people. And again, this is vitally important because there are so many people that see Jesus as just a good man or, you know, a great teacher or an unfortunate martyr, wasn't fully divine, won't believe the resurrection, you know, all of these things. So that's why this book is so important for us because it counters so much of, you know, the, the, the teachings that we get about Jesus from other, other, other groups. There's other religions that are actually based on refuting, you know, um, who Jesus Christ claimed, claimed to be. Right? That's, that's just the reality, right? Um, in fact, I've said many, many times, if you have any religious group knocking your door and they start talking to you, the fastest way to, to, to find out what they believe is to say, who's Jesus to you? You know, you don't even have to get into conversations about salvation, creation, any of those kinds. First question out of your mouth should be, so who is Jesus to you? And you get to the thick of what they believe and kind of like either... You know, you know right away where you stand with them. Okay, so here's here's the first uh, number of verses as we begin. Here's John, beginning in First John, the first four first four verses. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the Word of Life. This one who is life itself. And revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, what you'll, what you'll realize, and if you do any study in the New Testament, the New Testament era, is that many of the New Testament writers actually uh, copied what was normal letter writing process in that time. Um, if, you write, if you read any of the Apostle Paul's letters, he actually uses a formula. Greetings in the name of the Apostle Paul, and, and he, goes, he, he gives this kind of greeting. John doesn't do that. In his letters, he doesn't really give a greeting. He just starts right into it, which is kind of unusual for New Testament letters to do that, and even letter writing at the time. John just dives in and says, I want to introduce something that's vitally important for you to know. He doesn't do the greeting kind of thing that most of the other letters do. And he dives into this and says, we proclaim to you. And there's two things that he brings right away in these opening verses that kind of sets the tone for the remainder of the book, that Jesus is the word of life. That Jesus is the word of life. Now, this is um, an understanding of John that the entire spoken, exalted word, you know, throughout the whole Old Testament even, is Jesus Christ, that he is the word and the word of life. That when Jesus, you know, when we listen to the word, when we listen to Jesus talk, when we listen to, when we read the words of Jesus in the Bible, they are actually life to us. John spends a lot of time, even in his gospel, talking about the terminology of life. And he uses life very uniquely that life and eternal life are synonymous, that the minute you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you start experiencing eternal life, that eternal life for John is not this moment when you die, that eternal life is, is the thing that is initiated in you the minute you come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, prior to salvation, your life is really dead in sin, that your life isn't really a full life. In fact, for the gospel writers and for John, you do not become fully human until you make that profession of faith. That is just the biblical picture. So when John talks about the word of life, is that when we understand Jesus as the very word expressed through, um, you know, the everything that the Bible teaches, that it brings life, that, it's, that there's no darkness in, 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 in Jesus, that it is pure light, that this is, this is truth. So when, so when we're reading passages that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am all of these things. That Jesus is communicating that the essence of life resides in Jesus himself. That when we come to faith, that something is initiated in us through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, through the power of the resurrection, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we become something brand new. That what happens inside of us is something that we could never initiate on our own. And it breathes new life into us. 
And not only that, but as you can see, in the word of life, he is eternal life. That it doesn't die. It, it never ceases. It is something for, you know, um, you know I've joked all the time that, that I've, I've laid in bed and tried to figure out eternal life. Like going on forever. Like, I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if, if that's something that you do. But I've actually laid in bed and thought, what's forever going to look like? What, what, what is that going to do? You know, but for John, you, you know, Jesus is eternal life. In fact, back to the Gospel of John. Life, eternal life, light, um, those kinds of the word, all of those terminologies are synonymous with Jesus in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John. And John is continuing with everything that he wrote in his Gospel in this letter about the person and the work of Jesus. You know, I've said this many times. Jesus is not just a prophet, just not a king. He's just not, you know, another good man. He's just, there's all these labels that we place on Jesus, but Jesus himself is life. That when we're a Christian, when we say we believe in Jesus, we believe in an eternal Savior that gives us life brand new. No one else can do that. No other prophet can claim that. It's all secondhand. With Jesus, it's firsthand. Firsthand. And, and, and John says, if you doubt me, if you doubt what I'm telling you about the word of life and that Jesus is eternal life, here are the three counters I have to your doubt. You know, and John does this really brilliantly. I think you know, when I read this passage, I'm excited by some of the things that John actually says. And he, and he, he expresses this excitement in, with the three counters to the doubt. He is like, here's the three counters to the doubt. I saw him, I heard him, and I touched him. Okay, so how, how do people say, you know, this is, this is, by the way, Doubting Thomas proclamation in reverse, right? How do people say, you know, people actually, if, if they don't believe you about something, they don't believe you in three ways. Either they don't believe that you saw it, they don't believe that you heard it, you don't believe that you had any physical experience with it. And John says, all those three things that we normally doubt, I, I experienced, Right? I saw him. I saw him proclaim the teachings, and I saw the people get amazed. I saw what, what he did when he touched other people, and he healed them, and he brought people back from, from the dead. I saw all that, you know, and I heard him talk about who he was. I heard him proclaim that, I, you, know, I, you know, I have the power to lay down my life, and I have the power to raise it up again. You know, I and the Father are one. I heard Jesus making all... I was there when he was on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are they, you know. And, and, and I heard all those things. And, and it was bad enough that I saw those things. It was bad enough that I heard all those things. And the two of those things are powerful combinations of the witness and the testimony of this disciple. But I got to touch him. There's people that said, no, there's no way he was physical. He had to be only spiritual. But you know what? Bones. I heard when they placed the nails into his body. I watched him bleed. I watched him die. That physicality I was a part of, you know? 
I walked behind him. I saw him as he physically touched another human being and took away their sickness and said, blessed are you. Go and be in peace. I watched him. I heard him. I touched him. I'm not, I'm not coming to you as a, as, you know, from a secondhand situation. I'm coming to you as someone who spent years in the presence of this person. You've got to believe me because it wasn't hallucinating. You know, there was, there was over a long period of time, every evidence. And you know what? I had to write a gospel in order to communicate to people everything that I experienced. And that belief in Jesus Christ is, in fact, the word of life and the eternal life. Because I saw him, I heard him, I even got to touch him. So whatever doubts you have are your doubts, but have nothing to do with the truth. They're just your doubts. And I love this too, because... John is so excited by what he's, you know, communicating through this letter to the people that he's writing to, that he, he declares his purpose. He says, so you can have fellowship with us, you know, and you can share in my joy. Okay, that's the two things that come out of these first four verses that he's saying. The reason I'm writing this is that you can have fellowship with us and you can have joy. That those two things are part of what it means to be, you know, in, in, in belief in Jesus Christ with other people. That there's a lot of things going on in the world, a lot of difficulties happening in the world. Even in the early church world when they were being persecuted, and we've talked a, a little bit in the Reset series about just the amount of disruption that was happening for believers back in that time. But John says we can have fellowship and we can have joy because we know that we have eternal life. We know that we have the promise. We know that we have belief in the very word of life. And whatever this life brings, we have a promise and a hope beyond the difficulties of this day. And we can have fellowship together because there is nothing else. You can belong to a gym. You can belong to a club. You can belong to all these different things. But fellowship in the church of Jesus Christ is something that nothing else compares to. I, you know, I love it. You know, I love being a, being a, a, a professor at the school and, and getting a chance to teach students. And I tell you, there's times where, where we've had students come from all different parts of the world. And it's so neat to be in that classroom. And the student says, I'm from this part of the world and I'm from that part of the world and this part of the world. And we're, we're, we're starting the semester together. And you kind of stand up at the front and you kind of look at these students. You go, you know what? We're all part of a fellowship, and they've traveled from so many, you know, so far from around the world because of their belief that we share together in Jesus Christ. That fellowship thing um, is is something that's that's a sermon in of it of itself. What we have together. But John also communicates something in the midst of the difficulties that many believers were having, and this whole thing of joy, this whole thing of joy. Let me ask you, how much joy do you have in your life right now during this pandemic season? Yeah, tough question, isn't it? Is, is, you know, are the circumstances of what is happening around you right now sort of deadening what Christ has done in your life? 
and what hope you have beyond the season that we're experiencing. Let me ask you, you know, what has taken your joy away? Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, right, regardless of what is happening in the circumstances, that at the very heart of who you are as a human being, you should be experiencing joy because of your faith in Christ. That that should set you on a hope expedition. That beyond this, there's something better for you. That this is only a season, but there's always something better for a believer. That's, that's what John is communicating in this. In that, you know, is Jesus enough for you right now? Or do you want more? John says, because of your faith in Jesus, because he is the word of life, he is eternal life, that you should be experiencing fellowship and joy no matter what is happening in this life. Okay, let me, uh, let me keep going with um, the next portion of scripture. So this is the message John writes, we heard from Jesus and now declare from from you. This is, okay, I just told you, I heard him, I saw him, I'm communicating some of the things. I heard Jesus say that God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. Okay, here's some of the truth elements. Now, you know, what I neglected to say at the very beginning of of this when it comes to God's truth. Some of the truth that John is going to expose in this particular book are not going to be very comfortable for some of us. It's going to be hard to to hear. Um, It's going to be very raw. But John is always going to balance it with the understanding of God's love. And those two things are going to collide together in a very big way. Here's some of what is happening. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness or all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Here's here's some of the hard truths that, that come out of this. You know, here are the highlights that I want to get, you know, want to bring out of this word. Verse is that, you know, here John is communicating that God is light. That God is light. That there is no darkness in God at all. That is such a stark statement that when God says, let there be light, light exists, period. And the darkness cannot, cannot overcome it. Okay? The God's very nature is light. He is completely pure. He is completely holy. He is completely righteous. All those characteristics that we talk about this, about the nature of God is, you know, all, all under the summary statement of God 
be in light because he is absolutely pure. And again, that's not a terminology we use often nowadays, but purity is a part of God's character, of him being light. So since God is light, and if we say we are believers, John is encouraging us to walk in the light, walk in that purity, walk in, in, in that righteousness, walk in that holiness. You know, you, haven't, you don't have to be a believer for very long to know that these terminologies are communicated in the Bible on a, in, on a constant basis. You know, we want you to walk as, as, as Jesus walked. Walk holy, walk righteous. You know, be good is sometimes how, how we frame all of those comments. But that's what he's talking about, is to walk in the light. God is light. Since you say you have faith in God, since you say you walk with Jesus Christ, then may your walk reflect who you trust and believe in. That's what John is simply saying here. And then he says, don't deny your sin. Confess it. Confess your sin. And you know, here's, here's, a tough, here's a tough thing, right? Confess your sin. Admit to God who you really are, right? Admit it. Be open about it. You know, that's what confessing is, sim- is simply about. I know we took, turn it into a, a very religious connotation, but often it's, it's simply, in the, in the Greek here, it's simply admit to God, okay? Tell God what, who, what your sin is. Right? There are other passages of Scripture that talk about doing it on a horizontal level, that we should admit to other people our weaknesses, our, our, our sinful nature. Now, I know I don't have time to unpack that whole thing right here, but John is talking about being brutally honest with who we are. There, there is darkness inside of us. There is sin inside of us. That's what we have to acknowledge that we shouldn't deny this, that since God is light and since God is the word of life and since Jesus is the eternal word of life, all of those things that we confess to them who we really are, that they're going to be faithful to confess and forgive our sins. Like that's really powerful. If we confess to him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice that. Notice that. Okay? Is that God's faithfulness means that when I confess, he will forgive. That is part of his faithfulness. Right? That we don't often take into account. That God is so pure, so holy, so good, that we confess that darkness to him. We confess that we are sinners, that God faithfully, faithfully forgives us of our sins. And not only that, but cleanses us of all wickedness. Now, John does something really here, um, and this is what I want to close with this morning. He does something here, but he gives us the progress of deception. Here's the progress of deception, and notice how he does this in the passage. Number one, he says, we are lying. We are, just, we are just lying, you know, if, if we say that we have fellowship with God, that, you know, we're with the community of believers and all that stuff, and yet we're still living in spiritual darkness, okay? Like, we just haven't crossed that line, or we're, you know, we're, we're lying to other people. And, and in this particular context, it's like you're lying to somebody else. Other people are hearing 
you and, and, exp- and you're expressing this kind of, you know, posture, but you're not really living it, okay? So when, when you're lying like this, and if you say a lie long enough, normally what happens? You start believing the lie yourself, right? That's the second progression. Notice the second, we start fooling ourselves. Now we're lying to ourselves, okay? So once we tell a lie, or we tell a lie long enough, that's why we tell children not to lie, because eventually what they start doing is believing their own lies, okay? Right? We start fooling ourselves. Notice that beautiful progression that John is, is, is making in this. Don't, don't lie, you know? That's why confession is so important, because it gets us past lying to other people about who we really are. And I'm not just saying you spill everything to everybody, okay? I think you have to be very, very prudent in that way, okay? But people that, you, that trust, people that, you know, love you and care about you, confess. And confess those things to God. And God is faithful to, for, to forgive you. But if, if we don't, if we continue to lie, then we start believing the lie ourselves. And when we do that, here's the third thing, that we actually make God out to be a liar. Okay? That we actually make God out to be a liar. That's the progression of, of lying and the progression of deception that happens. And I think, by the way, that's a big cultural thing. I want to I close with that that right now. Here's, here's, here's the cultural dynamic that's happening in this particular passage, is that we have learned to say, I'm okay. You're okay. Just be yourself. You know, just be who you are. Just all of those kinds of things. And the reality is, is that there is very little um, push in our culture and society to even talk about our sins to even talk about admitting the darkness inside of us. That, you know, for many of us, we are told that we're born good, that we're born okay, that we're just people who make mistakes, that that's a continual cultural, you know, push that we see in, 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 popular, in, you know, in popular media and all that kind of stuff. There's very little push in our culture and society for re- true repentance, to grieve the sin that's part of our dark hearts. And that's what John is, is, is talking about here. That when we never come to this place of admitting who we are before God, we make God out to be a liar. That whatever God says about us is now not to be believed. That actually what I think about myself is actually more important than what God thinks about me. And what God says that I've got to do to correct myself or what I've got to do to, to restore my relationship with God isn't really true. And we make God out to be a liar. John was so moved by the fact that he got to experience Jesus Christ in the flesh, got to see him, got to hear him, got to touch him, that the rest of his life was spent telling people about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because for John, the moment he met Jesus and recognized him for who he truly was, his life was never the same. And he never spent another minute 
not telling people about how much his life was changed and how much your life can be changed when you come to know the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you. I don't know where you are this morning, but if you've never made a profession of faith, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, why, why not consider doing that this morning? I'm going to close with a prayer this morning, but just asking you, and maybe you're a believer here, and maybe you've just forgotten what it is that Jesus has done for you. And maybe you've forgotten that Jesus is actually the word of life, that he is actually life eternal, that life is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not just a secondhand kind of adoption to a theology or a doctrine or something like that, that he is a person, is the source of life. Let me ask you, where are you this morning? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you opened up your heart to Christ? Have you allowed yourself to admit to God that you have a dark heart, that you have dark thoughts, that you've come to recognize that before a holy, pure, and righteous God, that you are a sinner? Why not admit that today and allow yourself to live in the glorious light that Jesus brings into your life? Is everything going to go away tomorrow? No. But you know what you are going to have? You're going to have a joy in the midst of your experience. And you're going to have a fellowship in the midst of your experience that nothing else in this life can give you. And that's the difference Jesus can make. Let me pray for you this morning and pray that your heart becomes open to the person and work of Jesus. Just as John wrote to the first century believers, he is writing to you today because John saw him, John heard him, and John even touched him. So what he's telling us is truth unfiltered. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful book of 1 John and how it converges the love of God with the truth of God and how it speaks to our dilemma and our circumstances even today. That there are so many people that deny the person and work of Jesus and at the same time deny our need for a Savior. And yet John brings beautifully those arguments together to communicate that, yeah, nothing has changed. We still love to deceive ourselves. We still love to... Think of ourselves as something much more than just basic sinners. But that our need is and always has been the need for a Savior. And only Jesus satisfies the requirements of a holy and righteous and pure God. And we thank you that he is indeed the word of life. That he is indeed eternal life. So we pray today for those who are believers who have maybe have forgotten this beautiful truth or maybe have forgotten what it means to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And for those that have never placed faith in Christ, Lord, I pray that this is a moment, that this is a day that they have opened their hearts to Jesus. We thank you for all that have been part of this service I want to pray for each and every one. I pray a special blessing upon each person today. 
that they would know you, know your presence, and know the joy and fellowship that comes with belief in Jesus Christ. We thank you in his name alone. Amen.